Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. And now if you'll please join in the words for lighting the chalice, they're printed in your order of service. Now I invite you to take a deep breath. Maybe another. Let yourself, your whole self, body, mind, spirit, quiet down in this moment. Listen for the sounds around you. the breathing, the person next to you, the rustle of bodies in space. Listen deeply to the sounds of life and in the quiet, breathe. The philosopher and writer Mark Nepo describes a trip to the zoo and an amazing thing that he saw there. He writes, We wandered into a corner of the Central Park Zoo, and there, despite the dozens of tourists pointing and tapping the glass, two monkeys were squatting on a perch of stone. To our surprise, they were both deep in sleep, their dark heads bowed to each other, their small frames limp. What was amazing was their small, delicate hands were touching, their monkey fingers leaning into each other. It was clear that it was this small, sustained touch that allowed them to sleep. As long as they were touching, they could let go. I envied their trust and simplicity. There was none of the human pretense at independence. They clearly needed each other to experience peace. One stirred but didn't wake, and the other, in sleep, kept their fingers touching. How deeply rewarding the life of touch. Each was drifting inwardly, dreaming whatever monkeys dream. They looked like ancient travelers praying inside a place of rest made possible because they dared to stay connected. It was one of the most tender and humbling moments I have ever seen. Two aging monkeys, weaving fingertips, as if their touch alone kept them from oblivion. He concludes his story with a wish. He writes, I pray for the courage to be as simple in asking for what I need. Can you picture those monkeys side by side, trusting each other, embracing their vulnerability in sleep because they had a connection that sustained them through that risk? That small little touch was enough to strengthen to give courage to enable trust. 
Indeed, would that all it took for us humans was a small touch. Often it takes much more than that for us to achieve a level of comfort that encourages vulnerability, encourages risking our hearts. And yet our hearts long for that risk, long for the meaningful connections, long for the chance to be held in this way by others. And we can find those connections, find that loving support. It's within us, around us. We can get there together. In a spirit of connection, small, loving, and trusting, we gather together this morning. Every Sunday that we gather together, we take time in our service for quiet, for meditation, for reflection side by side. We use this in varying ways. Some of us use this time to breathe deeply, others to pray, others to simply be in time and space in a different way than we are throughout the week. So I invite you to settle your body into your chair, take some deep breaths. This Sunday, on the day before Memorial Day, we take special time to acknowledge, to remember, to honor all those who have died in military service to the United States. Memorial Day is a time to remember those who have made that ultimate sacrifice while serving, to remember those whose lives were taken and will never return home to their loved ones. It's also a day to remember those who have taken their own lives because they continue to suffer the ongoing, sometimes invisible, wounds of war. We hold in our hearts the friends and family these remembered service members left behind. We think of all the lives that were forever changed by these losses. And we long for a world where none need make such sacrifices again, and where no family needs bear that loss again. Please take a moment with me in silence and remember these fallen members of the armed services. As we come into our longer time for silence, we remember that humanity is frail in so many ways, strong beyond measure in others. Too often we fail to see what binds us and we focus on what divides us. Side by side in the quiet, may we remember the importance of recognizing our shared humanity. The value of trust for building connection and the power of love to overcome all separation. Take a deep breath. As I'm sure many of you realize, um, Ramadan, the month-long Muslim holiday, ends in about a week and a half. It's been going on for a couple of weeks now. For this month, those who are able fast during the sunlight hours, and each day's fast is broken with a big meal at sunset. On these longer spring days, this means many hours without food or drink, and it can be challenging. But the point of Ramadan is not suffering. 
Hassan M. Salim, an imam in Cedar Cedar Rapids, described it this way. Ramadan is a time of spiritual focus and renewal, connecting back to things that matter. As we take a break from eating, drinking, and other physical needs, we turn toward our souls and tend to their needs. We connect with nature by observing the birth of the new moon. We connect with God through offering extra prayers. We connect with our families and friends by sharing a meal and breaking our fast together. More importantly, we connect with those who experience hunger and thirst on a daily basis all year long, not for spiritual or health reasons, but out of poverty and food insecurity. Salim goes on to remind his readers that fasting during the month of Ramadan is one of the five pillars of Islam. Those five pillars are fasting during Ramadan, giving charity, daily prayer, the affirmation that there is no God but God, and making the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca mentioned in that poem from earlier. The five pillars are seen as the necessary acts that make possible the living of a full life in which religious devotion and belief is carried through all aspects of one's living. They make possible a sense of balance and rightness as one both lives in the world and maintains a deep and abiding commitment to faith. The pillars lift up strength in belief, kindness and compassion to others, spiritual maturation and maintenance, but they are also, it seems to me, about trust. Trust not only in God as God is conceived of in Islam, but also trust in each other, to give generously, to be present to each other, to provide for each other, to connect with each other in meaningful ways. And also trust in the value of life itself, the value of action, the value of belief, the value of loving, the value of faith put into practice. As we close out our month thinking about nourishment and draw nearer to the end of our second year together, trust has been on my mind. And right along with it, those corollary concepts, gratitude, blessing, connection, and faith. I love that Naomi Shihab Nye poem. It explores the different ways that different people put their faith into action, right? There are those who kneel to pray, those who make the pilgrimage, those, those young ones who insist that praying is a waste of time, those old ones who make prayers their daily activities, and those like the old fool that do none of those things but just speak to God like he speaks to his goats, right? Every act of faith in action, whether it is the varying types of prayer listed in that poem or the social justice actions that so many of you engage in or the intentional growth of our own minds and spirits, Every act of faith in action requires a sort of leap of trust. Does anybody remember the third Indiana Jones movie? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? I've got one person. Okay. All right. So do you remember Indiana Jones at least a little, like him and the concept of the films? Okay. So Indy and his father are fighting Nazis, right? And they're all chasing the Holy Grail because it's supposed to give eternal life, the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. If you find it, you're going to get eternal life. So there are some amazing moments in the last scene as they're all trying to get to the grail first. And Indy goes through these caves, which are filled with traps. And finally, he finds this room with this ancient knight who's been left there to protect the cup for millennia. 
That's my favorite scene. But there's a moment just before that, one of the traps is a leap of faith, what we might call an act of trust. Indiana Jones is standing at the mouth of a cave, and just in front of him is this huge crevasse, okay? Across the deep cut in the land is the entrance to another cliffside cave, but there's no way to get across. He has to take a leap of faith. He lifts one leg and just steps forward. And it turns out there's a bridge there that was super camouflaged, so he couldn't see it, but it was there. And when he gets across, he leans down and he grabs some sand out of the cave and he throws it back along the bridge so that he'll see it when he comes back to go crossing back to where his father is. So that moment, that moment of trust, when he takes just a step out into what he believes is nothingness, I've always found that a very powerful moment. It's a wonderful metaphor for plenty of moments in our own lives, from the very mundane day-to-day to the much more complex. We don't know how things are going to work out. We don't know that we're going to make it to the other side. We don't know how we're going to make it to the other side. Every single day, I'm going to ask you to think about this for a minute, every single day you are engaging in multiple acts of trust. Every day that you wake up and leave your house, you are acting on trust. Trust in the other people driving their cars around you. Trust in your train conductor. Trust in the dentist. Trust that when you fall asleep at night, you're going to wake up. Right? We trust our hearts to our friends and our family. We trust ourselves every day to make choices. We trust our knowledge and our intuition We trust in each other when we form communities like this that we are going to be kind and gentle and welcoming. Without trust, you can't really live in the world. And you certainly can't live fully in the world. It happens on so many levels every day, but it doesn't actually come easily. We have to work at trusting, try it again and again, because we all know that sometimes the trust that's asked of us is undeserved, And sometimes the trust we give is broken. Trust is no easy thing in actual practice. Mark Nepo writes about learning to float, about that challenge of letting go and trusting the deep. If you've ever watched anyone learn to swim, you know what he's talking about. There's a level of trust required, not just of your instructor, right, but also of your own self and your body and physics. And you have to let yourself sink a little bit. You can't pretend to stay up on the surface of the water. You can't pretend everything is fine. You have to let go a little bit, and that's when it starts to hold you. You have to be still and sink just enough to float. Sometimes it feels in that moment, in that instant, like our trust is not going to pay off. But then suddenly it does. And then I think, too, about that Shihab Nye poem and how all the ways that we work and we pray and we connect with each other and the universe, that requires trust. Because it isn't always clear that those actions will pay off. We work for growth and for transformation. We work for justice. We work for connection. And we do it all not knowing if we will actually achieve the transformation we and the world need, not knowing if justice will actually come to pass, not knowing if the connections we form will be lasting. Trust is a challenge. And I remember saying that about hope a few weeks ago, that hope is a challenge. 
And I remember endorsing in that sermon a particular kind of hope, active, thoughtful hope, not blind hope, and that's how I feel about trust as well. Unthinking trust is counterproductive, but trust that is reflective, thoughtful, that's the kind of trust that we want to cultivate. Unitarian Universalists are not theologically inclined to thoughtless trust or to unthinking gratitude or to loyal to a fault faith. Sometimes we find ourselves there because we're human, so sometimes we cease to be open or think critically or rationally. Sometimes we dig in on a belief or a way of being and we present it as if it were the only belief or way of being that is good. But that's actually pretty antithetical to Unitarian Universalism. We absolutely have the courage of our convictions. We love a good argumentative moment. We definitely stick to our opinions. But we also, if we are accessing the core of our anti-fundamentalist faith, deeply value conversation, compromise, open listening, and the attempt to truly hear what someone else is saying. Even if in the end we continue to trust our original notion, we don't just trust without thought, without care. We come by that openness and critical trusting naturally. Unitarians didn't just accept what others said about Jesus and the Bible and God, they read it themselves and they made a decision about what they read. Universalists didn't just accept the notion that God would condemn some to hell. They faithfully reasoned and came to a belief about the nature of God that made sense to them. They took a critical and yet loving eye to the world around them. And both Unitarians and Universalists found themselves outside the mainstream, but solid and committed to their beliefs that were grounded in love, hope, and a desire for justice and change. They were critical, and they reasoned, and then they trusted themselves— they were also faithful. They were open to new beliefs and possibilities, but they were never fundamentalist, never closed off. They were hopeful. There's a, a James Luther Adams reading in your gray hymnal titled, I Call That Church Free. He writes that a free church brings together people in a place of sanctuary and trust. It brings them together so that they can, alongside each other, with each other's support and help, search for truth and meaning. But a free church also bursts through rigid tradition. It's open to new ideas and new awakenings. It's grounded but changeable. Solid and meaningful but adaptable when new information presents itself. The Unitarians and the, univer and the Universalists trusted themselves, trusted each other, trusted their vision of God, trusted that the universe would indeed provide all the evidence they needed to use in determining their beliefs, even as they knew they needed to decide on ways to be together, even as they knew they needed to be able to adapt and adjust their vision as the world and science and society progressed. So trust doesn't mean there are no questions. Faith doesn't mean there are no doubts. Gratitude doesn't mean we never feel unsatisfied. Connection doesn't mean that we never feel alone. Love doesn't mean that we feel perfectly loved and offer perfect love at all times. All of those truths mean that we have to keep working every day, as Nepo writes, at trust and all those other pieces, gratitude and faith and love and connection. 
And so when someone says something like, just trust me, or just believe it, or just be grateful for what you have, or just put yourself out there, those are all hardly just statements. The work isn't simple. The practice of trust and its associated values is challenging. They require from us attention, discernment, care. And I think, I'm going to say this, that trust forms the basis of all of the rest of them. Because without a certain measure of trust, we can't be fully present to ourselves and in the world. Without a certain measure of trust, we won't take risks, and love and hope and connection pose inherent risk. Without trust, faith becomes impossible, and gratitude becomes empty. So how, given that trust is no simple thing, how can we begin to cultivate it as a thoughtful, reflective, conscious virtue in our lives? I've mentioned here before the writer Parker Palmer and the Center for Courage and Renewal. Folks from the center teach and facilitate something called circles of trust. Has anyone heard of these before? Okay. Circles of trust are designed to help people live more fully in their own lives doing what Palmer calls joining your soul and your role. They're groups that come together in trust, in confidentiality, to explore deep meaning, questions about life, questions about the universe. They're a way to find depth, but they're also a practice ground, a proving ground for trust. So you come together with others, and questions are asked, and answers are spoken honestly, and deep listening occurs. And there are certain elements that make the circles of trust work. But they are elements that we can introduce into our everyday living as much as possible as a way also of practicing and cultivating trust. So among those elements, give and receive welcome, be hospitable, be present as fully as possible, don't demand, invite. Speak your truth in ways that respects others' truths. Don't try to fix, advise, or correct. Listen. Respond with open, honest questions. Come from a place of wonder. Listen to your own inner voice, your reactions and responses. Let silence be a time for reflection don't rush to fill the void. Keep confidences. This one I love. Know it is possible that you might get what you need. These are tools that enable us to help create more trust in the world. By inviting rather than demanding, we encourage trust in others. By being as fully present as possible, we practice trusting our own lives, trusting the moment we are in. By asking open and honest questions, we practice trust that our questions will be taken seriously. And in all of these practices, we also learn when we should remove our trust. If another breaks our confidences, mocks our questions, isn't present to us, it teaches us that perhaps our trust was misplaced, and so we would be right to withdraw it, but not to abandon the practice altogether. And that's the other trick, is that we have to become resilient in our trusting. Stay open to possibility, open to trusting ourselves and each other, and the deep water that we know from experience will hold us. 
Mark Nepo has another short piece on Beethoven's Opus 131, written, composed in 1826. Nepo writes about it. It was considered groundbreaking, offering seven movements instead of the traditional four. Beethoven's compositions for string quartet rush players into dynamic and intimate relationship, the way we can know the wisdom of experience only through actual relationship, learning how to play the music of life together. What is especially noteworthy, he goes on to tell us, is that even these, these movements are played with no stops, without pause. He writes, this is the inspiring lesson of Beethoven's Opus 131. It mirrors the nonstop demand of life to have us make music of what we're given, not knowing what will happen next. Inevitably having to play seven movements without pause, the instruments will go out of tune. With no time to retune their strings, Musicians have to adjust and improvise within the structure of the music. In this place, Beethoven insists on allowing both the harmony and discord of life to be present. He challenges musicians to see the movements through, even out of tune. He goes on to say, Likewise, we are challenged every day to say yes to the movements of life, to see it all through without pause, staying in relationship to the music of life and to each other, adjusting as we go, not knowing what will happen next. Yet even out of tune, this messy and magnificent practice, so essentially human, will let us hear, briefly, the music of the universe being the universe. To hear this larger music while grinding out the small music of our lives is what sages of all traditions have called glimpsing eternity. And I'm going to keep going because he says it so well. Just how do we do this? How do we wander so honestly and tenderly in the pilgrimage of the heart? How do we uncover a personal practice by which to restore our trust in living as the original art? How do we take the sorrow that endures forever, because every one of us will have our share of it, and find the courage, support, love, and skills by which to melt it in the furnace of our heart, so from the everlasting bronze we can shape the pleasure and peace that abides in a moment? And how do we go without pause, making amends for our clumsy missteps and making music with what we have? How do we do this, he asks, by trusting over and over and over again, even when we get burned. Because that trust is what helps us cultivate faith. Not faith that is uncritical, but faith that wonders and questions and listens to an inner voice as well as to what history and science and culture and tradition teaches us. Faith that takes our own experiences, the good and the bad, into consideration. Faith that incorporates everything we know and hope and desire. And then, when we practice trust and faith, we find ourselves in a position to offer healthy, honest, fervent gratitude. Because then, we're trusting our own inner teacher that guides us, and we can give thanks for that inner light. We can give thanks for the deep water that holds us because we've trusted and found things steady. We can give thanks for communities that offer us solidity and adaptability because we have trusted and had enough faith to connect. We can give thanks for the people and the family and friends that offer us hospitable welcome. We can give thanks for the love we experience in the tiny weaving of fingertips and for the safety and vulnerability that we experience among people who trust and care as we do. And then we trust again, 
and we take another leap into the unknown human experience, another opportunity to be honest and vulnerable and real, because that is the way to deep and meaningful connection. And that is the way to love that changes the world. That's the way to wholeness. May we continue to cultivate trust here within these walls and well beyond them. May each of us deepen our faith as we take leaps beyond the known and into the unknown. And may we always offer gratitude for the connections and love that our trust and faith help us form and that sustain us through all the bumps and bruises of life. So may it be. Please join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. They're printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame and the energy of action burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. As you go from this place, go trusting that your honesty, your realness, and your vulnerability, your openness, and your faith, your gratitude, and your love are gifts to the world. Go in peace.